Thank you so much, David, for reading that for us. Now, keep your Bibles open to page 1094, because I'd like to begin by reading that passage again in a slightly different translation. Perhaps we can have the Bible reading back up on the screen as well. And just follow along as I read, and I'd like you to see if you can spot any differences. Occasionally, they spent some time listening to the apostles' teaching. And when they could, they met together for fellowship, for the breaking of bread and for prayer. Awe came upon some of them, but there were no signs and wonders. All who believed were separated into groups and kept themselves apart in all they did. They would hoard their possessions and their goods and show indifference to those in need. Day by day, they went about their lives as individuals, only meeting weekly or fortnightly in the temple. They broke bread at home alone and ate their food with cold and empty hearts, giving token thanks to God. They were held in contempt by all the people. And day by day, their numbers dwindled, and it seemed that few were being saved. Well, I suspect you spotted one or two differences. That is, of course, not an exact translation of the passage. It is a spoof version that was written and used on the Growing Leaders course that I know some of us have been on. But I wanted to start with it because it does highlight some really important things about our passage from Acts. The things that stand out for me that weren't there in that second version are words like devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Words like everyone, everyone was filled with awe, every day they met together, and so on. They are all in. The word that is implied but not actually used in the passage is family. This early church is not just part of life for these first disciples. It is their life. It is their family. It is their center of gravity. So as we explore this passage together this morning, we're going to look at some of the things that were important to the early church in this time that was immediately after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at that first Pentecost. And we're going to see what we can learn and apply in our 21st century context as well. But before we dive into the passage, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture of the early church. And we pray that as we explore it together this morning, you would open our minds to learn what you want to say to us. Open our eyes and our ears to hear from you and to meet with you. And open our hearts to respond. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title that we have given to this passage in our preaching series this term is a multi-focused church. And I'm going to pull out four different areas that we see the early church focusing on. And we're going to explore each in turn. So I'm going to tell you what they are right now so you know where we're going. They are discipleship, fellowship, worship, and mission. We're going to go around them a few times looking from different angles. So those are the four things we're going to cover. So first, discipleship. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We saw last week how Peter had just stood up on the day of Pentecost, proclaimed the gospel message, and 3,000 people had been baptized and added to the church. But these new Christians needed to continue to be nurtured and grow in their faith. Conversion, coming to Christ, is not the end of the journey. 
So the apostles continue to teach. They're proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection and teaching these new believers everything that Jesus said and did during his ministry on earth. We know from some of the letters we see later in the New Testament, this teaching also involved working out applications of the gospel message to their everyday lives. What did it mean to live as a follower of Jesus in the midst of the joys and struggles of daily life? We see here a picture of a church that is keen to learn and to grow in discipleship. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, making it the centre of their lives and putting it into practice day by day. And this is only possible by the help of the Holy Spirit. John Stott writes in his commentary on Acts, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. So that first area of focus is discipleship. Second, Let's look at the fellowship of the early church. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's a wonderful picture of unity, sharing and generosity, providing for those who don't have the essentials of life. But more than just that, It's a fellowship with roots that run deep, right back into the fellowship between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the heart of the Trinity. In 1 John 1 verse 3, we read this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Christian fellowship is a lot more than just a wishy-washy instruction to be nice to one another. It is a commonality of life and a unity of purpose that is centred in the very heart of God. Now, this fellowship of the early church didn't mean that they were literally called to sell everything that they owned. Later in the passage, we're told that they met together in people's homes, so obviously home ownership was still a thing. But there are a few places today where we see Christian groups taking this commonality of possessions to the next level and going over and above beyond what the early church modelled here. For example, I was reading this week about a sect called the, the Hutterite Brethren, where no one owns anything for themselves. Everything from houses to food to clothing to money is held in common, and people are given only what they need when they need it. But that's not what we see here in Acts. For the early church and for us too, the call is not to sell everything, but to hold more lightly to what we have. To look around us with different eyes, to see where our plenty can supply someone else's need. Or perhaps to allow others to meet our needs. 1 John 3.17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? This is radical Christian fellowship, rooted in the shared life of the Trinity and overflowing in a heart of generosity to those in need. The next thing we see in the life of the early church is worship. 
Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, the worship of the early church took place in a variety of different places and a variety of different styles. There was no one single right way to worship God. Worship took place in the temple and in homes. It involved breaking bread, prayer, signs and wonders, sharing food and praising God. It was formal and informal, in large and small groups. It was reverent, but it was also joyful. I listened to a podcast recently. Sorry if anyone doesn't know what a podcast is. It's a bit like a radio program, but recorded and made available on the internet. And in this podcast, Christian worship leaders Matt Redman and Jeremy Riddle were discussing worship. This particular episode was called Imminence versus Transcendence. Yes, I know they're long words, but bear with me. I'm going to explain what it means. And I think it's really important. Imminence is an attribute of God that means he is present with us. He draws close to us in Jesus. We can approach him with confidence and call him Abba, Father. It represents the intimacy of relationship we can have with God. On the other hand, transcendence means that God is other, different from us, set apart as holy. It reminds us that when we come into the presence of God, we can only fall at his feet in worship. And both imminence and transcendence are important. We need to hold both together in our Christian lives and in our worship. And that's what Matt and Jeremy were chatting about on that podcast But I wonder which you identify most readily with. I think for many of us, myself included, it may be that we just need a reminder of the holiness of God, his transcendence, and to recapture a sense of awe in our worship. Or we see the early church holding both together, awe and thanksgiving, imminence and transcendence, reverence and joy. So we've seen the early church focusing on discipleship, fellowship, and worship, and now the fourth area of focus is mission, because the focus is not just within the church, but outside too. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can we just pause and notice something from that verse that might seem really obvious, but it's this, it is God who adds people to the church. Because as we start to think about mission, it can be easy to quickly feel overwhelmed. Gosh, I couldn't possibly share my faith with someone. Or to feel guilty. I must be so bad at sharing my faith because my friends are not becoming Christians. But this verse reminds us it is only God who can work in someone's heart and bring them to respond to the gospel. We can't argue someone into the kingdom of God, however impressive or not our arguments are. Theologians have a word for this. It's a Latin word, bear with me. Missio Dei simply means the mission of God. And I found when I first encountered this, when I was studying theology before I was ordained, it transformed my thinking about mission. 
because it tells us that mission belongs to God. He is already at work in the world and he longs for people to come to know him. And yes, we get to join in. We get to play our part, but we're not doing it on our own. We're joining in with what God is already doing by his Holy Spirit. And isn't that just the most awesome privilege to get to be partners with God in mission? So those four areas that the early church focused on, discipleship, fellowship, worship, and mission, all four are important. And if any one of those is missing, the church would fall short of what God longs for it to be and might perhaps start to look a little bit like the caricature I read out at the start. A church without a focus on discipleship would fall away from being centered on God's word. It would contain shallow believers who didn't think it was important to read the Bible daily, to continue to learn and grow, or to be equipped to live out their faith in daily life. This church would be in danger of going off piste and filling the void with other things that draw it away from its first love for Jesus, God's word. A church without fellowship would be in danger of becoming a club. Its members would gather on a Sunday out of habit, greet one another with that classic British exchange that goes a little bit like this. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Yep, I'm fine too. But the mask never slips to reveal the true struggles beneath. There's no common life in this church. Needs go unrecognized and unmet. Possessions are hoarded carefully. And the interests of oneself or one's immediate family only are paramount. A church without worship will very quickly lose its connection with God. Like a fountain without water, unless its members come back to be refocused on God's presence and refilled with the Holy Spirit, they will become dry and empty, going through the motions without any of the awe or the joy that come from regularly entering God's presence in worship. And a church without mission, well, that church will simply disappear over time as its members stagnate in their faith and no new believers are added to their number, it will just dwindle away. It paints a bleak picture to consider what a church without any of these areas would look like. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that any of those characterize us here at Holy Trinity. But I do want to finish by asking two questions. Where are we at as a church in each of these areas? And how might we seek to grow both corporately as a church and individually? Well, first, discipleship. And I think it's fair to say, historically, this has been a real strength for us here at Holy Trinity. We've put a high value on Bible teaching week by week on Sundays and in our small groups. But let's not get complacent. We've got plenty of room to go deeper. It's one of the reasons why we've bought these wonderful new Bibles in church, so we can follow along week by week as the word is, is read and preached. So why not pick one up next week on your way into the church? And we have our small groups as well, which are a great way to go deeper in God's word. I'd love to see us all meeting together, not only on Sundays, but during the week as well. And of course, it's not just about our corporate life, but it's individual too. So for me, I always start the day with a time of Bible reading and prayer, and that's foundational to my walk with God. And if you want some tips on how to get started with that, I'd love to chat to you more at the end. Second, fellowship. 
Now, I know that a real strength within this congregation particularly is the strength and the depth of the relationships that we share. Many of you have known and loved one another for many years, and the support and care you share is a beautiful illustration of this common life. But I think we have further to go in truly integrating newcomers into our fellowship. We're good at welcoming people, but it's harder to really genuinely draw someone new into that shared life. So perhaps at the end of today's service, and indeed, why not do this every Sunday, you could make a point of going and talking to someone you don't recognize. Maybe you'll find they're here for the first time. Maybe you'll find they've been coming for years and you've just not spoken to them before. Yes, that still happens to me. Either way, have that conversation. Make that link with them. And it's a step towards going deeper in that shared family life together. Next, worship. As a church, we offer worship in a range of styles to suit different preferences, and that is a real strength of our corporate life. But here's the challenge. How easy or difficult do you find it to worship in a style that is not your preference? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to send you all off away from the 11.30 service. I love having you all here week by week. But I'm simply trying to suggest that there's something to explore around what our focus is in worship. Is it most important to us to come into the presence of the Holy Lord God of the universe who makes himself known to us in Jesus and in the indwelling power of the Spirit? Is that our focus, whatever the style of worship? And I've not really had time to touch on prayer very much, but I just want to mention that here as well. Do we devote ourselves to prayer as the early church did here? And are we strengthened and sustained by our prayer life? Or is it a last resort? So if a problem crops up, we do all we can in our own strength and our own resources to try and fix it. And when we've tried all of that and come to the end of our tether, we think, oh, well, maybe I'll try praying about it then. And finally, mission. Honestly, I think this is the one where we have the most room to grow. Because we're here in the building for a little over an hour every Sunday, but the remaining six days and 23 hours every week, we're out in the world. And the mission of God continues. God is at work all around us, wherever we are. And he longs for us to join in, not being ashamed of our faith, but willing to engage with others as he leads. And as Patrick's already alluded to, last week we heard a few stories from members of this congregation who had taken those little opportunities, whether it was through conversations on the bus or inviting others to join a Christian discussion group at work or simply displaying a jigsaw piece that was a take-home from a previous sermon and being prepared to answer the questions that it generated. Wonderful and simple and hopefully not too scary examples of how to join in with what God is doing. So how is God calling you to join him in his mission, knowing that he is with you and goes ahead of you by the power of the Spirit? I began by reading a spoof translation of Acts 2, which painted a picture of a church that I'm sure none of us want to be part of. But I'd like to finish with a different interpretation of the passage, which perhaps paints a picture of a church we would like to be part of here in Claygate. And as I read it, may God show each of us how he is calling us to play our part. The members of Holy Trinity Claygate centre their lives around connecting with God through reading the Bible daily 
and sharing in fellowship, worship, and prayer. Everyone is filled with awe and celebrates the ways in which they see God at work among them. All are involved in church life, and they are a loving and generous community, giving of what they have to help those in need. They meet together every day on Zoom for morning prayer, every week in their small groups, and every Sunday in church. They show hospitality in sharing food with others in their homes and live as distinctive daily disciples, praising God with reverence and with joy. The church has a good reputation in the local community and the midweek ministries attract many individuals and families of all ages. They are proactive in mission, unashamed of their faith, and baptisms take place regularly as the Lord adds to their number those who are being saved. Amen.